Many years ago, someone I admired mentioned the importance of mentors, and then he listed off seven of his, uh, indicating the contributions that they'd made to his life. He said some were important because of what they taught him, but others really didn't say much. Instead, it was the manner of life, their way of life, that had inspired him. St. Paul is one of my heroes, and his writings are a big part of that, but there is also his way of life. Paul was surprisingly candid about the difficulties that he faced, so he didn't live an easy life, and yet he had great trust and confidence in God. He learned to trust God no matter what the circumstances were that he faced. Today we're going to look not at a single story, but rather a series of stories in which we get to see Paul in action, and along the way we have the opportunity to be mentored by him. Paul had arrived in the city of Corinth. Uh, Corinth was a place where all the major trade routes from the north and south and the east and west, including a couple of ports, were nearby, which made it a wealthy and prosperous city. And it was also a promiscuous place. In some ways, it's a cross, say, of Chicago and Las Vegas, important for trade routes as well as for its way of life, which unfortunately was not admirable. That made it a challenging place for Paul to do ministry. The story starts, as Paul's stories often do, with him going to a Jewish synagogue. In chapter 18, verses, verse 4, it says this. It says, Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks. Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, it was always Paul's practice to go first to a synagogue because that was the place where he expected to find the most receptive audience. But not here. In Corinth, they didn't want to listen to what he had to say. In verse 6, it says this, They opposed Paul and became abusive. So Paul did what he would do in other places as well. He moved on to the next most likely group, and that was a group of curious Greeks. One of these happened to have a home that was right next door to the synagogue. So Paul just moved from one building to the other and began to teach. And there he received a much more positive response, and a number of people came to be followers of Jesus. But the opposition was getting to Paul. The constant criticism, the open hostility, the slander, the threats, the verbal abuse. He began to wonder why bother and thought about packing his bags and going to a place where people were, say, a bit nicer, where people would listen and not argue so much. At just about the moment when Paul had had it, when he was just about to give up, something remarkable happened. In chapter 18, verse 9, it's described this way. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So remember, Paul's afraid, but God tells him to be courageous. He's worried about speaking up, and God says, no, speak up. Do that, and I will protect you. Yes, they may say unkind things about you behind your back, but I've got you. They won't be able to hurt you. And then he added, there are many in Corinth who believe in me. They just don't know it yet. So here's Paul, deeply discouraged, ready to throw in the towel, and God encourages him to keep it up. And that's exactly what he does. Here's what it says in verse 11. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. It's important to notice here that at the end of this little vision that Paul has in the middle of the night, he wakes up the next morning and nothing has changed. His circumstances didn't get better. The folks in the synagogue next door didn't apologize. They didn't invite him back. They didn't hire him for a speaking gig. In fact, quite the opposite. They continued to say nasty things about him. 
They still threatened him bodily harm. They were still hard on him. But Paul now has a different perspective. God let him know that what they're doing to you, don't worry about it. I've got your back. God reassured him. He said, they may threaten you, but I will take care of you. And then he promised him that there were many in the city who would want to hear and would need to hear what he had to say, so keep speaking up. It would be easy for us to skip over this little episode, this vision that Paul had in the night, and assume that God only speaks to important people like Paul. And it's true, earlier Paul had had another vision. That vision, by the way, was one where he was told to go to a new place, and this one he's told to stay in the same place, to stay put. When times are hard, we often pray for a way out, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, the Psalms are full of petitions where the poet writes asking God to bring deliverance. But sometimes God's long-term plan, even when his long-term plan is to bring us out of a difficulty, he may ask us for the time being to stay in the moment, to sit, stick it out, to settle down, and to keep it up, even if it's hard. That's why we need to hear what God told to Paul, that he is with us, that no one will harm us, that he has many people in the city. In other words, he's going to make our lives fruitful. Now, I'm talking to myself as much as to any of you. When I get discouraged, when everything around me feels like it's sort of caving in, when I'm not sure that I can keep going, when I wonder why bother, what I need most is a word from the Lord. I need the encouragement to keep going, to do what's right, to be faithful with what I've been given to do. Reading through Acts has focused me, at least, on a few lessons that are in this story as well. And one is that God seldom gives us the roadmap in advance. In other words, God tends to give us the guidance we need when we need it and not before. Some of you, like me, are planners. So whenever you're going on a trip, you plan out the route. You know kind of when you're going to leave, when you're going to get there, and what you're going to do when you arrive. But that's not the way things always work with God. Another lesson here is that when God gives us something to do, he gives us the resources that we need to do it. What Paul needed here was courage and strength, and that's what God gave him. That late night pep, night pep talk that he got with God was enough to carry him through another year and a half of difficult work. And the final lesson is that if God has given us something to do, he'll give us success in the end. That may not look exactly like we, we imagined, but he will make our lives fruitful. Now, while Paul was living in Corinth, in the thick of all of this, he wrote a letter to some Christians that he'd met earlier in a place called Thessalonica. In a letter that he wrote them called 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, he tells them how he prays for them. This is from verses 11 and 12. We constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of the life he has called you to live, and that by his power he may fulfill every good work of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ might be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you may be having a tough time right now. Maybe there's a difficulty at work or a challenging marriage or a wayward child. Maybe it's poor health or you're out of work and your finances are dwindling. If you feel you're in your, over your head for whatever reason, trust God. Put your hope in him. Trust in his power to fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. Not long after this happened, 
the local Jewish leaders filed a lawsuit against Paul, uh, accusing him of treason against Rome. It was a serious accusation, and if the local authority, the local governor, agreed, Paul would be in serious trouble. But when the governor heard the accusations, he immediately dismissed the case and drove the religious leaders out of the courtroom. Paul kept up his end of the bargain. He stayed in Corinth for a while, he kept speaking up, and God kept his end as well. He protected Paul from harm. In the meantime, many came to faith in Jesus. But eventually it was time for Paul to move on. And so as he left, he did something that to our ears sounds a bit strange. Let me read to you uh, about it in verse 18. It said, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off because of a vow that he had taken. Now, we don't know for sure, but it appears that Paul was taking what's called a Nazarite vow. Uh, Nazarites were people who abstained from alcohol, who let their hair grow. Uh, it was most of the time just for a period of time, uh, long enough for them to devote themselves wholeheartedly to God um, or to, follow, uh, to thank him for something or to ask for his blessing on something that was in the future. Now, I've never heard of someone today cutting off their hair uh, by making a vow to God, and I'm sure someone has. But what I've thought about this week is what's the modern equivalent of that? What is it that we could do to do the same thing that Paul was doing? Here's one suggestion. Now, it may be because you're facing a big decision or you've got a difficulty in your life that feels overwhelming, something that's keeping you up late at night um, and you're not sure what to do. Or maybe you're stuck and you feel like God has something more for you and you're just not sure what it is. Well, why don't you think about setting aside maybe a day or even just half a day to spend time talking to God and listening to Him, to spend time reading your Bible and praying. Or it might be to alter the rhythm of your life for a period of time, maybe a month. Maybe in order to give, uh, provide more time to read your Bible and pray each day, you decide for a month to give up TV. No Netflix, no Hulu, no Monday Night Football, no The Voice. The point here is to make space in our lives so that we can hear from God. Now what follows this is two stories that are in a row that really have a similar theme. At the end of chapter 18 and the beginning of chapter 19, there are some well-intentioned folks who don't know everything there is to know about Jesus. I want to make a comment about them, but first let me just describe the first of these stories. The first comes at the end of chapter 18 when a man named Apollos shows up. He meets a couple of Paul's friends, a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. Apollos had a brilliant mind. He was an effective speaker, but he didn't have full information about Jesus. It, his information was incomplete. Now, Priscilla and Aquila were impressed with Apollos, but they knew more about Jesus than he did, and they cared enough to be able to fill him in. They explained the way, Luke says, of God to him more adequately. And the benefits from this postgraduate education were immediate in Apollos' life. Luke tells us at the very end of chapter 18, in verse 28, that Apollos vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, in the second story, which is at the beginning of chapter 19, Paul came across some folks that Luke calls disciples. Now, in their case, they knew even less about Jesus. They didn't know yet about his death and resurrection. At least that's what appears. And it was Paul this time who brought them up to speed. And as soon as they heard the rest of the story, they immediately became followers of Jesus. Now here's the point, at least that I want to make today. And that is that we're never too old to learn more. Many of us are too content. We 
really aren't committed enough to learn more than just the basics of our faith. And sometimes even then, we need a refresher. So I have a suggestion. Early this next year, we're going to offer Alpha again. Alpha is designed as a course for people who are exploring Christian faith, but I've also found that it's a great way to get a refresher on what you uh, know about your faith in Jesus. So whether you're exploring faith or whether you just want a refresher, why don't you look for it in the new year? Just stay tuned. Well, Paul, at the end of, uh, actually the middle of chapter 19, continued speaking out, and his travels took him to a place called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was known as a city where many were involved in the occult. Luke tells us that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. People were healed, others freed of demonic possession, and some of the locals were so impressed that they decided to try to do what Paul was doing, but it completely backfired. You see, the evil spirits recognized that Paul was empowered by God and his Holy Spirit. But these locals, well, they didn't have what Paul had. And so they struck back. It's kind of embarrassing. You know, many people today don't believe in evil spirits. It's just superstition, they say. But the spirit world is real. There are dark forces at work in this world, and we cannot deny them, and we should not dabble in them. But we also don't need to be afraid. The evil spirit in this story didn't run from Paul alone. They ran because Paul knew Jesus and the power of Jesus was in his life. Luke adds something to the end of all of this. He says, beginning in verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed to what they'd done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachma. This tells us just how serious these folks were about ridding themselves of their connections to the occult. Luke tells us that the items they burned were worth about 50,000 drachma. I don't know if you know the expression, um, another day, another dollar. It's the idea that if you earn a dollar a day every day, you pile up another dollar. Well, a drachma in those days represented a day's wages. So what we're talking about here is 50,000 days wages, or probably the equivalent today of about $5 million. That just shows you how genuine these people were about their commitment to Jesus and ridding themselves of these connections to the occult. Now, I can just imagine, though, the debate where someone would say, you know what, boy, that's a lot of money. Why don't we sell these things and then we can give the money to the church? But those who did this didn't see it that way. They believed that allowing these things to fall into the hands of others would do them great harm. So they made a sacrifice and burned everything. These were people with first-hand knowledge of the demonic world, and they wanted nothing more to do with it. Paul's message brought comfort to hurting people, freedom for those in bondage to evil spirits, and forgiveness for those who were weighed down by the weight of sin and guilt. But once again, they heard Paul's message of grace, that through faith in Christ, their sins were taken care of, and they rejoiced. This week, someone I follow on Twitter posted this. She said, religion is, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. But the good news of Jesus is, I messed up. I need to call my dad. You see, in Jesus, we can have a relationship with God. In Jesus, we can find the forgiveness that we need. Well, we started today talking about mentors. 
Many of my mentors have been people that I know very well. But a few, like Paul, are people I've never met, I've just read about. But if Paul were here today, I think he would point us to the mentor of all mentors, to Jesus, the one who lived and died and rose again so that we might have life in his name. Amen.